Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. Tom Peters and Robert Waterman wrote a book for corporate America called In Search of Excellence. They coined the phrase management by walking around, or MBWA, as a way of describing how exceptional executives make their companies excellent. The authors encouraged executives to get out of the ivory tower and mingle with their workers. Jesus manages his church by walking amidst the golden lampstands, not as a corporate CEO, but as a royal priest. I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now. Hello and welcome into this Friday edition of Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. I'm Brian Davis, thanks for tuning in. In the book of Revelation, the Apostle John describes Jesus as standing in the midst of seven golden lampstands and holding seven stars in his right hand. Today, Ron unlocks the mystery of this passage as he continues his series, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth and the Return of Jesus Christ. Stay with us here or stop by our new digital streaming platform at somethinggoodradio.org and listen to the broadcast on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. You can also subscribe to the podcast at Spotify or wherever you get yours. From Revelation chapter one, here's Ron with his Something Good Radio message, The Mystery of the Seven Stars. I've titled this morning's message, The Mystery of the Seven Stars, because in chapter one, the word mystery appears for the first of four times in the book of Revelation, thus the mystery of the apocalypse. We'll get to that as time goes on here, but one of the first things I want us to notice here is that beginning in verse nine, as John continues giving us a vision of Jesus, he also pauses to tell us a little bit about how this vision came to him, where he was and what was going on at the time, because this was happening in real time and in real history in a real place to a real person named John the Apostle, who was one of the 12 disciples that walked with Jesus. And he says in verse 9, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos. You can go to Patmos today. It's a small island, just a little rock somewhere out there in the Aegean Sea, a beautiful blue Mediterranean waters. A Patmos 2,000 years ago was the Alcatraz for the Roman Empire. It's where they sent their political and religious dissidents. And John, who is now in his 90s, having faithfully served the Lord Jesus Christ for all these years, Uh, faithful to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And for that reason, an evil emperor named Domitian in an attempt to wipe out all attempts of the early church getting sent John the apostle, the apostle whom Jesus loved, who had a special relation, sent him to Patmos, to this rock in the middle of the sea, this prison. And it's worth noting that John says, while I was On Patmos, I was also in the Spirit on the day of the Lord. Interesting phraseology here. And it reminds us of of this twofold thing going on. He was on Patmos, in a prison, 
in dire and difficult circumstances, but also in the Spirit. The implication being I was right in the center of God's will. I was right where God wanted me to be. And it was on the day of the Lord that I received this vision, the day of the Lord being a reference to the new day that the early church started worshiping, not on the Sabbath anymore, but not on Saturday, but now on Sunday, the first day of the week, uh, tipping their hat, of course, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a whole lot going on in that phraseology, on Patmos, uh, in the Spirit, on the day of the Lord. Uh, the point I want to make here is simply that the idea of being in difficult and dire circumstances is not at odds with simultaneously being in the center of God's will. And that's, a lot, that's hard for a lot of us to get a grasp on as believers in Jesus Christ because you, know, you might have thought that when I became a Christian, everything was just going to go hunky-dory for me. And the reality is it might get worse. It might get, become more difficult for you. Certainly as we race to the end of the age and to uh, the last days of planet Earth and as we peek behind the veil of these future events in Bible prophecy, to those who are faithful to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, as John was in the first century, it will become more and more difficult as the days go on. But don't confuse the fact that you can be on Patmos, <laughs> in a place of difficulty and dire circumstances, and in the center of God's will right at the same time. And that's John. Now, the Lord Jesus told John to take this vision, which, remember, last week we said came from God the Father to God the Son by means of the Holy Spirit to an angel, to John, to a book, and to us, okay? That's a lot of transmission there. But he told John to write what you see in a book, verse 11. Write it down. You see, God spoke to John through a vision, and don't, don't, don't be upset about that or think, oh, what's that all about? Because throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament, early church times even, God spoke in dreams and visions. Even as the Word of God was being written by means of the Holy Spirit and through the 40 authors that God used to pen His Word, uh, that Word oftentimes came first in a dream or a vision or, or a thus saith the Lord kind of thing. It came to John that way, but look at what the Lord says to him. Write it down in a book. Write it down in a book because the primary way that God speaks to us today is through his written word. And, and he wanted all that he was giving to John to be written to down in a book and initially sent to seven churches in the first century. They're mentioned here. Ephesus, Sardis, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Philadelphia, Laodicea. You can, you can actually go to those places today and find the ruins of these first century early churches. And these were real churches and real places, a real book, a real vision. I, I just say that to, to say God is still speaking today. Make, make no mistake about that, friends. And he certainly has the ability to speak in visions and dreams and all that if he wants to. But the primary way that he speaks to us is through the Word of God. And if you say, oh, I, I, I heard the voice of God or God was speaking to me, that's fine. It's always in complement to his Word. And if it isn't, then, then you either had a bad enchilada the night before or the devil himself is speaking to you. Okay? God told John, John... I'm giving this to you in a vision, but I want you to write it down because I'm going to speak to future generations through a book that I've written. 
And this is the primary way he does that. Certainly there are times, and it's happened in my life as I'm reading through the Word of God and saturating my heart with it, the Spirit of God has a way of grabbing a text of Scripture or a verse and speaking it in a very direct way to my spirit and saying, boom, this, this is my word for you at this time and in this circumstance. Oh, he does that all the time. That's why you've got to get into God's Word and, and let him speak to you through the pages of his Word. And he'll always do that consistent with his Word. Now, there are several things that John continues to reveal to us about Jesus. And again, gone are the Sunday school images. Not that those images aren't important, but, but we're seeing Jesus as he really is today in glory and, and as he is coming again. Uh, we said last week that Jesus came to this earth sort of like an undercover boss. Remember that reality TV program? Sort of veiled his deity to some extent. Uh, gave, gave a little glimpse of it on the Mount of Transfiguration when his glory shined through his clothes. And Peter says, wow, this is so good. Let's just, let's just hunker down right here, build ourselves a tabernacle, enjoy it. And Jesus closed up the, the veil and said, no, we got, we got work to do yet here. The next time we see him in all of his glory is in Revelation chapter 1. And he's coming again. And, and here's, here's what John tells us about Jesus. Let me categorize them four or five ways. Number one, he's a royal priest. A royal priest. Verses 12 and 13. John says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The clothing that John describes there is the clothing of a king and or priest. A king priest. A royal priest priest. And John references here the one like a, a son of man, and there's some language here that you're saying, wow, what is this all about? Uh, it, it, John was steeped in Old Testament scripture. He knew the Bible well. And oftentimes when you're dealing with apocalyptic literature, which is, which is very uh, vivid in its imagery, let the Bible interpret the Bible, okay? Saturate your heart in the scriptures and look for ways that other scriptures interpret. Look for ways that the old interprets the new and vice versa. So Daniel is, or John is probably referring to uh, Daniel chapter 7 here or drawing from that where Daniel 7 and verses 13 through 14, Daniel says, I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. Jesus had many uh, titles during his earthly ministry, but two primary ones were Son of God and Son of Man, referring to his 100% deity and his 100% humanity at the same time. Daniel describes this one like a Son of Man uh, coming on the clouds of heaven, and he came to the Ancient of Days. Ancient of Days being a title of God the Father in the Old Testament. So we have God the Father, we have God the Son in the Daniel uh, vision here, and the cloud coming on the clouds of heaven, probably a reference, an Old Testament reference to his second coming that we'll get into in the weeks ahead. And so here's a picture of Jesus, uh, this one like a son of man, even from the Old Testament book of Daniel, 
And it goes on to say, to him was given, listen to this, dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is a royal priest who also possesses incredible authority and power. This is the Jesus that John is describing here. Now, he, he goes on to say that when he heard, he heard something, he heard a voice that sounded like a trumpet. And it made him turn around and look and see who was there. And he says, then I saw this one like a son of man, now that we've gone to Daniel, you know, you know who that, that one like a son of man is, standing in the midst of the lampstands. Well, that sounds mysterious, doesn't it? What's that all about? There were seven lampstands, and this one like a son of man, this Jesus, is standing in the midst of them. Well, we don't have to speculate or guess as to what the seven lampstands mean. In fact, Jesus tells us uh, straight up. He, he solves the mystery for us. In verse 20, as for the mystery of the seven golden lampstands, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. What seven churches? Well, the ones that received letters in chapters 2 and 3, churches that were actual congregations like ours only 2,000 years ago, and, and they got some letters from Jesus. It's a reminder that the church in every generation needs a revelation from Jesus and needs to know what her place is in that generation and in that culture and in God's future and eternal plan. Uh, that's why it's so important to study even the letters to these, these seven churches. But here, here's what I find very interesting. We see Jesus standing in the midst of the churches. Now let that picture just sink in a little bit. He's here. He's here watching, listening, leading his churches. He's not a distant and remote head of the church in his ivory tower. Or no, he, he's standing right in the midst of his churches. Don't go away. We'll be right back with more of Dr. Ron Jones' message, The Mystery of the Seven Stars. New to the program? Keep in mind that all of Ron's messages are archived at our website, somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. When you stop by, use the Partner tab at the top of the homepage and check out the 828 Club a special group of people who partner with Ron so that he can share the gospel through these radio and internet broadcasts. Join the 828 Club from our website or call us at 757-276-1099. Again, 757-276-1099. And now from the book of Revelation, here's Ron with the rest of today's message, The Mystery of the Seven Stars. Years ago in the business community, Tom Peters and Robert Waterman wrote a book called uh, In Search of Excellence. It was a bestseller to business leaders and all of that, and they coined the phrase management by walking around, MBWA. And what they did was they encouraged senior executives to get out of the ivory tower and walk around a little bit, out in the trenches of where people are actually working. And you might get a better sense of what's really going on in your company. That, that's the picture of Jesus here. He was the original MBWA. Uh, the manager, the leader, walking around, up and down the aisles and in and out of the rows and watching and listening, paying attention to everything we do in his church. He's the royal priest. 
In New Testament language, he's the head of the church. Don't ever say this is Ron Jones's church, you know, or some other pastor's name. Doesn't belong to me, doesn't belong to you. Jesus is the head of the church. He is the royal king priest, and, and he has ultimate authority in this place. Here's the second picture that John gives us of Jesus as he continues on. Not only is he a royal priest, he's also an ancient sage. Verse 14, the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. This is maybe given rise to the uh, kind, of, kind of the false picture that Jesus, people have of, of God as kind of that doting old grandfather rocking in the sky. Uh, don't be confused by that earthly image when you come across something like this, that his hair was like white wool, like snow. Uh, we don't value age in our culture like the Bible values age. You know, it's a, it's a youth culture, right? You kind of figure that out when you hit your 40s and 50s and you're looking for a job and the job goes to somebody younger. People in Hollywood figure this out too. I hear actresses saying, you know, I got to a certain age and I stopped getting the roles that I got when I was younger. Or I was watching the Winter Olympics uh, not too long ago and there was a, a skier named Bodie and he was a downhill skier and, you know, had been to many Olympics before, but they were talking about how he, now he was over the hill, and I think he was 32 years old. You got to be, I mean, is that over the hill now? <laughs> but, you know, whatever it is, in athletics or, you know, Hollywood or just our general culture, we're, we're a youth culture. And then you read something like this, his hairs of his head were white like white, well, oh, yeah, that's that doting old grandfather in the sky who's just kind of decrepit and says, oh, boys will be the boys, won't they? Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, one of the reasons we fear aging is because we fear the loss of intellectual and physical capacity, and that happens to us in our, in our sinful fallen state, right? We, you know, the, the minute we we're born, we start to die, and we reach that age where our bodies don't work as well and our minds don't work as well. We don't see as well as we used to. When it comes to the ancient of days, or to this one whose hair is as white as wool, this ancient sage, there's not an iota of intellectual, physical, or spiritual capacity that's lost. Not at all. And these people who want to suggest today that God is, is learning and growing, He's evolving. That's hogwash. He's never had to learn a thing. He, he, he's an expert in quantum physics and in agriculture all at the same time, and you name the area of study that you've spent years in school trying to master and become the best in your industry. He knows it better than you do or anybody else in your industry or a collection of, of, of bright minds out there, and he knows every industry upside down and backwards. He doesn't evolve. He has perfect knowledge, intellect, capacity, and yeah, that, that wisdom. You know, that gray hair that we're always trying to cover up. I remember years ago, my, my dad, as he was getting a little bit gray, you know, tried to put a little bit of that men's stuff, that color stuff, and his, his mustache turned green. So, you know, that's kind of the way we are. We're just, we, we don't want age to hit us, right? But in the Bible, here's what the Bible says about age. Proverbs 16 and verse 31, a white head is a crown of glory. Well, if that's true, then the Ancient of Days must be full of all kinds of glory, right? Leviticus 19 and verse 32, you will rise up before the white head and honor, honor the face of the old man, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. 
He is an ancient sage. He, he looks the part of wisdom and experience without any loss of capacity. This is, this is the God of the Bible, and this is Jesus. You'll never find the Ancient of Days sitting in a wheelchair or checking into an assisted living center. Oh, no. Uh, he is ancient in every sense that we might understand beyond time and eternity without the shrinking of capacity. Number three, he is passionate, passionate and full of conviction. Look at this in verses 14 and 15. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze. His face was like the sun shining in full strength. A little anatomy lesson here. He goes from his eyes to his feet to his face. And notice his eyes. Now you look into somebody's eyes, you might be looking into their soul, some people say. The eyes say everything. You meet somebody that has shifty eyes, you, know, you don't trust them very much, do you? You know, somebody, I, I watch these guys interviewed on television sometime, and they're asked a hard question, and their eyes immediately go down. That tells me they aren't very comfortable with the answer, right? We watch the eyes. It's one thing to, uh, to have a you know, passion in your belly. It's another thing to, to have some fire in your eyes. And that's what you see when you look in Jesus' eyes. Whether Christ comes back today or a thousand years from now, He will come back. And on that day, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess, and every heart will know that He alone is worthy of all praise, all glory, and all honor. You're listening to Something Good Radio with Dr. Ron Jones. Today's message, The Mystery of the Seven Stars, along with all of Ron's messages, can be heard on demand at somethinggoodradio.org. Use the radio tab at the top of the homepage. That's somethinggoodradio.org. While you're there, be sure and check out Dr. Ron Jones' discipleship coaching experience called Starting Point, A Disciple's First Steps. In Starting Point, Ron takes you back to the fundamentals of the Christian faith and helps equip you to fulfill the Great Commission by making disciples of others. To find Starting Point, A Disciple's First Steps, look for Something Good courses when you visit somethinggoodradio.org. Have you ever wanted to visit the land of the Bible and walk in the footsteps of Jesus? Join Dr. Ron and Catherine Jones and the Something Good Radio team for a thrilling Israel tour happening in January 2022. Experience a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. Walk down the Via Dolorosa. Visit Gethsemane where Jesus prayed and Calvary where he shed his blood for you. Step inside the empty tomb and see for yourself that your Savior is risen indeed. Is the Holy Land on your bucket list? Experience Israel 2022. Register at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. To make a reservation or to get more information on our trip to the Holy Land, look for Something Good Travel when you visit somethinggoodradio.org. For your gift to Something Good Radio, we'd like to offer you the complete audio download of the series you're hearing now, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. In this 20-message series, Dr. Ron Jones takes you on an exciting journey through the book of Revelation and unveils some of the greatest and most mysterious prophecies in all of Scripture. That's Mysteries of the Apocalypse, yours for a limited time for your gift to Something Good Radio. 
Give online at somethinggoodradio.org. Mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456. Or call our offices at 757-276-1099. And then in verse 16, right in the midst of all that, John says, And in his right hand he held seven stars. Another picture of his authority. But it introduces us to the mystery. The mystery of the seven stars. And like this mystery, again, we don't have to speculate, we don't have to guess. Jesus tells us. He, he solves the mystery. He says in verse 20, as for the mystery of the seven stars, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Well, that answered a question in one sense, but it also introduced another one, and that is, what does he mean by the angels of the seven churches? Because does that suggest that every church has an angel assigned to them, kind of like the guardian angel of a church? That's next time when Ron shares part two of his message, The Mystery of the Seven Stars. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. God bless and thanks for listening.